live in an age in which the worst thing I can call you is a racist. Like, I could tell you, hey, you realize you're a heretic and you've denied the Trinity, and you'd be like, uh, that's your point of view. But if I say you're a racist, you're like, how dare you? you know, like, that's the worst thing we can be called. So at some point, we got to get to the spot where we are able to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I'm probably a racist. I'm telling you, like, I'm a racist because I have a heartbeat. And until I receive my glorified, com completely sanctified uh, body, soul, and mind, uh, I'm going to be doing battle with sin. So when we talk about them removing the stain of racism from the SBC, yeah. what we believe in part is, is that there is racism by intent when someone intentionally commits a transgression, the transgression of racism against someone because of his or her race, but there's also racism by consequence. And those consequences are the result of a racial hierarchy that has created space to prioritize whiteness. If you, if you, for example, can go through Baptist history and never hear about Dr. King, but only hear about white heroes of the Baptist faith, yeah. you never hear about black folk or brown folk or immigrant folk in church history, but you only hear about white or Europeans, those are consequences of white supremacy, you see. I am a racist. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if that freaks you out, if you think the worst thing somebody can call you is a racist, then you're not thinking biblically. Because mm. guess what? Like, I, 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 I'm going to struggle with racism and white supremacy until the day I die and get my glorified body. My name is Ed Dingus, and you are listening to The Reformed Rant. And today, I am going to rant about the cross of Christ, how to remove the scandal, because the cross of Christ truly is scandalous. Everything that you just heard having to do with this racial reconciliation, social justice, Marxist ideologies coming into the church, intersectionality, critical race theory, all of these ideas have at their core the goal of removing the scandal from the cross, of removing the, um, the offense of the Christian religion in the eyes of of the culture. As the culture goes, as society goes, as pagan values go, so goes these 
evangelical leaders as they attempt to steer the church and the churches in the direction that pagan culture is going. The problem that they're having, especially in the SBC, is that many of the folks in the pews are continuing to hold on to those old-fashioned core values, many of them biblical, (laughs) and some of them uh, political, some of them cultural conservative values, and they're having trouble moving them. But the younger generation coming up is definitely moving into this neo-progressivism that is permeating uh, American society here in the West. So I thought, gosh, it, it would be fun to just walk through um, a sarcastic lesson or guide on the cross of Christ and how to remove the scandal, the stigma that is attached to the cross of Christ. This is something that every Christian, every true believer in the church's need needs to understand. And leaders, Sunday school teachers, pastors, elders, all of us, uh, we need to remind one another that there is, according to Jesus Christ, according to the prophets, according to the apostles, there is an inherent stigma associated with being a Christian. It has been this way for true Christianity, true Christians living in pagan cultures, right? True believers living in pagan cultures. There has always been the God stigma attached to us. It is unavoidable. Before I jump into the the guide on how to remove the scandal, I want to say this. In American society, because of the history of uh, the American nation, how America was was formed, and uh, how we have gotten along uh, as Americans from the beginning, there has been this really odd, unique characteristic in American society that has been attached to basic principles of Christian belief. There's been a respect for the Bible, a respect for the commandments of God, a respect for Christianity and all things Christian. That respect has been there, wink, wink, if you will, but it has existed, and in many cases, it's been a sincere respect and appreciation for the values and the principles of Christian belief. Christians have become accustomed to this. We've lived with this our whole lives, most of us. That is now no longer the case. This has changed, and it has changed rapidly in our culture for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to get into the reasons. Now we find ourselves in probably the same boat as most of the rest of the Christians in the world and throughout the history of the Christian church. We live in a predominantly pagan culture that is hostile 
to the true expression of biblical Christianity and to the true revelation of the God that actually exists. What do we do? Well, since most of us grew up in a society where this hostility did not exist, we find ourselves in an unfamiliar place. And so the leaders and the teachers and those of us in the churches have to find a way to help our fellow believers come to grips with what's going on around them, how to think about it, and how to interact with uh, this new culture in which we find ourselves because things have changed. And um, God is sovereign. All things are being worked by God for His glory, for the good of those who love Him. Our focus needs to be on basically what does God say to us as Christians living in a culture like this. What are we to do? How shall we then live? Right? Okay. Let's jump into how to remove the scandal of the cross of Christ in Christianity. Well, I'm just going to run through a list. Hopefully you'll enjoy this. Maybe some of these things will be stimulating. Uh, and I really hope that it will at least be encouraging. And maybe somewhat humorous. I don't know. Uh, my, my stab at a little bit of humor. Okay. Number one. First, I want to talk about the don'ts. And I've got a list of 20 don'ts. And then a list of 15 do's. And then we'll conclude. Number one. Don't preach about hell. Just don't bring it up. All right. This is removing the stigma of Christianity. This is removing the scandal of the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't preach about hell. That's first. And for sure, number two, don't preach about eternal flames or eternal punishment or damnation. Okay? This just turns people off. So don't do it. Number three, don't mention God's wrath. Do not talk about God's wrath. You just come off sounding like a fundamentalist. One of these ignorant uh, folks from, well, you know, I don't want to offend people from the sticks. I'm from the sticks. Not everybody from the sticks is ignorant. But there are some people from the sticks who are ignorant. And those are the people I'm talking about. Not everybody. Okay, let's just be clear. All right. Don't talk about God's wrath. You just sound like some screaming Westboro Baptist person, you know, and you're written off immediately. Let the Holy Spirit do that work for you later, right? You don't have to worry about that. I actually once had a pastor tell me I'm not going to preach about that sin because I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit handle that. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not making that up. This is this was a man who uh, had his his doctorate. He was an educated pastor. Okay, number four, do not talk about creation out of nothing. Creation ex nihilo. Do not bring that up. Why? Well, it's unscientific and intellectually offensive. So avoid it, right? We're clearing obstacles, folks, right? There's an apologetic method out there, classical apologetics, that has as its core aim to remove obstacles. That's what we're trying to do here. Let's remove those obstacles. Number five... For heaven's sake, don't ever use the expression young earth. It's okay if you want to believe in a young earth. But for Pete's sake, don't mention it. That's just an unnecessary obstacle to the faith. 
Just leave that alone. Leave that go. That's, that's an ancillary issue. Don't worry about it, okay? Better left unsaid. All right. And if you can avoid it, let's stay with this age thing of the earth. If you can avoid it, don't talk about Adam and Eve as literal persons in history. Bad idea. Okay. And for sure, don't ever refer to them as our first parents. This just creates confusion. Okay. Don't do it. Okay. Number seven, never ever mention the words global flood. No one believes that. It's not important, so just avoid it, okay? Avoid it. It's scandalous. Also, don't talk about stories in the Old Testament like the Exodus. Right? There's absolutely no evidence supporting the Exodus, aside from the biblical manuscripts themselves that talk about it over and over again, and the history of the Jewish people that seem to think it really happened. Uh, it just creates a mess when you bring it up. So just, just try not to talk about that. Number nine, whatever you do, avoid the miracles in the Old Testament. You know, things like parting of the Red Sea, uh, the parting of the Jordan River, floating axe heads, flaming chariots, Sodom and Gomorrah. Bad idea. Unnecessary distractions, okay? Number 10, it's also best not to bring up Abraham and his extremely old wife, Sarah, having a child, all right, who actually believes that that really happened the way the Bible says that it happened. I mean, come on, really? 100 years old, you're going to have a, a kid? Come on. And number 11, whatever you do, do not talk about or mention talking snakes with legs or talking donkeys, okay? Look, that's just embarrassing. Don't talk about it. Number 12, don't talk about God's wrath in the Old Testament, okay? It's more than a little overboard, overkill, if you will, literally overkill. God is said to have killed people for things like picking up sticks on the Sabbath and for touching, like, the Ark of the Covenant, the most important religious symbol of that time. It's going to fall over onto the ground and maybe break open and you reach out to keep that from happening, and God rewards you by killing it. Okay? Also, just so you know, God's wrath in the Old Testament could get you killed just for loving the wrong person. Could get you stoned to death. Maybe a guy fell in love with another guy. Oh, stone him. Maybe this husband fell in love with another man's wife because their needs weren't being met and they were unhappy in the relationship. Uh, 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 stone them. Harsh, right? Really, really harsh stuff. Number 13, do not bring up the subject of slavery. Whatever you do, avoid it at all costs. It exists in both the Old and the New Testament. And of the 40-plus authors, over 1,500 years of time, not one of them actually spoke against it ever. Talk about embarrassing, right? I mean, really? <laughs> Number 14, you should also avoid the subject of homosexuality. The Bible is very harsh where this subject is concerned. In fact, homosexuals were stoned in the Old Testament. They killed them. Two large cities were destroyed because of homosexuality. 
And people in the Bible who, who actually practice homosexuality and other people who think it's okay, just they just think it's okay to practice homosexuality, are said to be worthy of death. They should get the death penalty. Talk about antiquated views on sexuality. The Bible is filled with them. Number 15, never tell people that Jesus is the only way to God. Just don't do that. That is way too close-minded for modern, sophisticated intellects. People can love Jesus even if they have no idea who he was. Come on. Get with the program. We have all learned this now. We know this to be true. Don't say stuff like this. It only turns people off. Number 16, avoid talking about things like election, predestination, sovereignty, the bondage of the will. These doctrines make people feel powerless and helpless to do anything that would contribute to their own salvation. People don't like not being able to contribute to their own salvation. What do you not understand about that? Don't talk about those things. Turns people off. Number 17, you should always try to avoid referring to the Bible as the Word of God. No matter what. And whatever you do, don't ever call it inerrant. <laughs> wow. If you really want to throw a rock into a hornet's nest and create problems for yourself, call the Bible the inerrant Word of God. You're just asking for trouble. Number 18, never come across as being fully convinced of something, no matter how basic it is. Just don't do it. It makes you look arrogant and does nothing whatsoever to attract people to Jesus. You see, Jesus, he had an anything-goes-tolerant attitude toward all people from all religions and cultures, except for conservatives. He didn't like conservatives. He would never have demanded that people change in order to have a relationship with him, you see. Jesus accepted people just for who they were. He never demanded anything of them. Yeah, that's the Jesus of the Bible. That's attractive right there. Right? That, that, sounds, that sounds like the kind of Jesus everybody could, could get behind and follow, doesn't it? Isn't that awesome? Number 19, don't talk about God's holiness, whatever you do. Do not talk about God's holiness. People already know God is holy. They don't need to hear it from you. It just makes you sound self-righteous. right? And number 20, whatever you do, don't tell people that they are sinners or wicked or murderers. They already know that they're sinners, wicked, and murderers. They don't need you to tell them. Okay? So don't. Just, do, just don't. All right? This is, this is how you remove the scandal from the cross. Now, what are some things that you can do to, uh, on the positive side? I gave you all the don'ts. What are some do's that you can engage in to help remove the scandal from the cross, the stigma from Christianity? Well, number one, always stay connected to the culture. This way you can find out just how to connect people with God. If you find out what's going on in the culture, you see, you'll always know just exactly where to meet people and how to connect them with God. And that's really what we're all about. We just want to connect people with God, right? And, and the best way to do that is to stay connected with what's going on in the culture. Number two, find out what the values and the concerns of the culture are and focus on them. 
right? Because these are also God's concerns and values, right? This is what God... Let the culture know that what they think is important is also what God thinks is important. This will make Christianity very attractive to the culture. Instant credibility, right? Hey, I'm in That's what I think too, right? When the culture realizes that God is on their side and he thinks the same things they think, it makes God very, very attractive, right? There's no stigma there, none whatsoever. No scandal, no offense. Number three, never ever judge anyone for anything ever, okay? Be open and accepting of all people. Just how they are. Except, of course, for white conservatives. No one likes them anyway. Number four, make sure you tell people that the decision to follow God is 100% up to them. It is their choice to follow Christ or not to. You see, it's completely up to them. Always present God and Christianity as the best option for them. Always Make them feel like it's, it's up to them to look at the claims of the Bible and the teachings of Christianity and to assess those claims and, and teachings. They're in the driver's seat. They need to analyze this. And, and then, once they've decided that it makes sense, then they can sign on and join the group. But they're in control. They're in charge. All right. And God never makes demands on them. Right? Make sure that you always present God in that light, not as some demanding God who, who's pounding his fist saying, Repent or else. That's no, that's not the God that's that's attractive. That's more scandalous. That's the stigma stuff. We want to avoid that. Always find something good to say. Number five, always find something good to say about people in your sermons and in your Sunday school lessons, especially uh, especially the, the women, right? And always, always, always be very kind to the little kitties. Number six, focus on helping people help themselves. This is very important in this society. So always, always have that focus. Number seven, Constantly offer parenting classes, spousal classes, marital classes, self-improvement classes where possible. God wants us to have our best lives now. And people will love you if you help them get to that place, you see. So help them. Number eight, always tell people how much God loves them and forgives them and is on their side rooting for them to make the right choices in life no matter what so that he can shower them with blessings unending. Number nine, make sure people know that God can take the bad things that accidentally happen to them out there in this world and, and can make those things work to their good and turn into something really good. God can take a lemon better than anybody and make the best lemonade in the world. That's the kind of God that he is. Constantly, number 10, constantly talk about equality and people's rights. They love that stuff. Always bring up things like racial and gender equality and involve the church in marches and activism that focuses on making the world a better place here and now. Constantly talking about things like the environment and, and, 
and, and doing good to the planet, right? Number 11, look for ways to elevate women to leadership positions. You see, the church has had a bad reputation for a long time for being misogynistic. Very, very long time. We've got to change that. All right. Number 12, always jump on the bandwagon of things like gay rights, gender rights, women's rights, racial equality. This lends credibility to the church and makes sure that we have a voice in the conversation. If we don't have a voice in the conversation, we, we, can't, we can't attract people to Jesus and the church will die, you see. We can't have that. We have to find a way to stay in the conversation. Number 13, fill your seminaries with neo-progressives and cultural Marxists. This is the trend for the future. It's the best way for you to guarantee that you still have some kind of standing in society. And if you have some kind of standing in society, God can still use you to bring people to Jesus, to attract people to the church. If you don't, then he can't. Number 14, talk about God's unconditional love toward all humanity all the time. People can't get enough of that. Okay. Number 15. Always refer to sin as mistakes and the world as broken. This way, people can view sin as something that happens to them, like cancer. This helps them avoid unnecessary guilt. This feels, this makes them, this is consistent with the victim mentality, you see. Everybody thinks they're a victim. The world is a victim. The world's just broken. Now the world, the world is broken. There's no question about that. It is broken. But it is, it is broken because it is in violent, obstinate rebellion against its creator. It's cursed by God. It's not broken like a baby with cancer. It's broken like a prisoner on death row who's dying tomorrow and has no hope of escaping the death sentence. Deserves what he gets. The world deserves to be broken. Right? All right. Those, those are the 15 do's. This is where we are, folks. Evangelical leaders feel their power slipping away from them. They feel the world moving in a different direction. The cognitive respect that once existed is being replaced rapidly with disgust and disrepute. Historic Christian theology is viewed with great contempt, both morally and intellectually. The God of the Bible is morally repugnant to pagan values in this day and age in American culture. And the many claims found in the pages of Scripture are simply intellectually offensive. So something has to change. Either the church will lose its voice to the culture at large, and evangelism will shrink back to where it was in the beginning and where it is in many other societies on the globe, and in fact, most other places on the globe. Or the evangelical machine will change Christian theology, giving it a complete overhaul in the name of clearing obstacles to the faith so that the machine can retain its position in the culture. 
Based on what I see, the latter seems to be carrying the day. My conclusion? Now that you're done removing the scandal from the cross, and since we're heading into winter, you may as well go ahead and use what is left of the cross for something good. A fire. Because that's all you have left. Thank you for listening to the Reformed Rant. My name is Ed Dingus. Today is November... What is today? November... November what? I don't know what today is. 25th, 26th, 26th. November 26th. I hope that I said something that at least jumps out at you and challenges you and makes you think about these issues. I, I don't say anything just to irritate you or, or poke you in the eye as a believer. There are some who are wolves who are, to be honest with you, just completely useless. They're doing everything they can do to damn the church, to damn souls. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, pigs wallowing around in their own feces, dogs licking up their own vomit. And on occasion, I do poke those people in the eye. I see, I've seen Jesus do it. I've seen Paul do it. I've seen Peter do it. I've seen the prophets do it. Uh, they need a good poke in the eye. And what God is going to do them uh, is far worse than a poke in the eye. But if you're, a, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my hope is to say something that, uh, to you that will cause you to sit back and think. Now, maybe initially you'll be like, oh, what a smart aleck. I mean, I, don't, I really don't like the way he said that. I hope you'll work through that like I do. I'm a knee-jerkish kind of guy too. And when it's all said and done on the other side of that knee-jerk reaction, you'll think about what I said and say, you know what? I kind of get where he's coming from. I understand his concern in this area about these things. Maybe we should, or maybe I should think about this differently, look at it differently, take a different approach. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can leave those in the uh, app. If you're listening to this on the Anchor app, you can go over to reformedreasons.com, leave comments there on the uh, on the website. You can go to um, the Facebook pages. We have two Reformation Charlotte Facebook pages. Uh, join the groups, have conversation, a lot of fellowship, a lot of debate, a lot of, lot of agreement, a lot of disagreement uh, uh, in those groups, but really good iron sharpens iron kind of stuff, right? We need to be unified. We need to encourage one another. We need to hold each other accountable, but we all need to stand together in lockstep, being of the same mind, standing for Christ, being a light to the world, defending the truth, loving each other, and loving those who are our enemies enough to tell them the truth. Amen. God bless. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, I will be uh, ranting soon. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com Telling me that you'll be true Lies, lies That's all I ever get from you Tears, tears I shed a million